Hey guys, welcome to the Bitcoin Fortress podcast, helping you increase your financial freedom. This is episode 64, recorded on uh, May 14th, 2023. This podcast is for entertainment only and is not investing advice, so please do your own homework. Okay, we've got a lot to cover on this uh, Mother's Day, so if you're celebrating, I hope you have a great one. Um, and uh, we'll just jump right into the market update and outlook. And we got a lot of interesting Bitcoin news to go over, and then we'll finish up talking about this week's po- or, uh, blog post. And then I got another one teed up for the midweek uh, that should be interesting. And then we'll wrap it up. So jumping right in, uh, stocks slumped Friday after U.S. data showed a decline in consumer sentiment combined with expectations for higher inflation. The University of Michigan's Index of Consumer Sentiment in May sank to a six-month low while its five-year outlook for inflation spiked to its highest reading in more than a decade. Market participants also were keeping a close eye on proceedings surrounding the debt ceiling with the potential for a default as soon as early June, edging closer. Financial stocks fell as concerns over regional banks continued to simmer. For the week, the leading stock market averages turned in a mixed performance, with the NASDAQ adding 0.4%, while S&P 500 slipped 0.3%, and the Dow Jones average ended down 0.3%. Looking ahead... Uh, the ticking t- ticking bomb of a potential default by the U.S. government will be front and center with investors again next week. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen will meet with J.P. Morgan Chase, CEO Jamie Dimon, Citigroup CEO Jane Crazer, and other board members of the Bank Policy Institute in Washington to discuss debt limit talks. Dimon already warned that markets would be gripped by panic as the U.S. approaches a possible default on its sovereign debt. All right, Uh, jumping right into the news, uh, this first one I thought was uh, interesting kind of dovetails into this whole uh, default uh, conversation um, about the U.S. government. So this is from Bitcoin.com, just posted here. Today, U.S. government faces significant risk of default in June, Congressional Budget Office warns. And then the article goes on here. It says the Congressional Budget Office released, the CBO, released an update to the budget outlook for 2023 to 2033 Friday. The report updates CBO's budget projections released in February. CBO's baseline projections are developed in accordance with procedures set in law. Those procedures require the agency to project spending, revenues, deficits, and debt without regard to the statutory limit on the issuance of new federal debt. That limit, now set at $31.4 trillion, was reached on January 19, 2023. Wow. It's hard to believe that was uh, four months ago. The report's details adding, and this is a quote, 
CBO estimates that if the limit is not raised or suspended, there is a significant risk that the Treasury will run out of funds at some point in the first two weeks of June. The CBO's estimate aligns with that of U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, who said earlier this month that the Treasury may not be able to pay all of the government's bills as early as June 1st if Congress does not raise or suspend the debt limit before that time. Many people have warned about the implications of the U.S. defaulting on its debt obligations. The International Monetary Fund said there would be very serious repercussions. Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell warned of uncertain and adverse consequences. The chairman of the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, Gary Gensler, expects significant and lasting effects on investors, issuers, and markets. Goldman Sachs believes the consequences will be catastrophic. Meanwhile, former president and 2024 presidential candidate Donald Trump has urged Republican lawmakers to let the U.S. default on its debt if the Democrats do not agree to spending cuts. It's better than what we're doing right now because we're spending money like drunken sailors, he said. And so uh, it's interesting because, you know, there's certainly, as with all things, two sides of this debate. Uh, one side is saying uh, they're going to raise it and uh, they'll do it in the 11th hour and uh, avoid a catastrophe. Um, but there's more and more people thinking that uh, they're, they're going to let it default and then uh, have to work it out afterwards. Uh, but eventually, because again, the, raising the debt limit is um, is is kind of... Um, political theater, I guess, uh, because, you know, the, the spending has already been approved, um, you know, in, in, in the past. And so, you know, um, they, Congress has already authorized the spending. They need to borrow in order to balance the books because they don't bring in, uh, you know, enough tax revenues and other revenues to offset the, all the money that they're spending. So they have to borrow. But, you know, the big issue, of course, is, um, you know, cutting spending, which, you know, the uh, House of Representatives um, has put some pretty deep cuts in there. And uh, and there's a lot of political wrangling over where those cuts occur. And, and of course, the I think the other side doesn't really want to cut anything. They just want to keep spending. So uh, they want to raise taxes. I think that was Biden's... Uh, proposal, um, which no, nobody wants that either. So, uh, it should be interesting. It's definitely, um, the outcome is not certain. Uh, uh, at least the outcome is certain in terms of that they will raise the debt limit. The, uh, question is when will that happen? Will that happen in the 11th hour or will it happen after a default occurs and what will be the, the consequences of that, uh, in the markets, but uh, it should be should be a wild ride and um, probably a good idea to be uh, somewhat conservative in your investing approach uh, leading up to that, it would seem. All right, moving into the next uh, one here. This is uh, an opinion piece from Coindesk. This is by David Z. Morris, and it was uh, posted on May 12th. Sam Bankman-Fried's ties to George Santos are just the beginning. 
Donations to the lying congressman were just a grace note in FTX's symphony of alleged corruption. Um, this week saw the charging and arrest of George Santos, the comically inventive Long Island congressman. Almost unbelievably, Santos is connected to another apparently inveterate liar, Sam Bankman-Fried, the multiply indicted founder and former CEO of collapsed crypto exchange FTX, who, by the way, is still not in jail. He's on house arrest, walking around. And uh, not in the news anymore. <clears throat> Bankman-Fried's ties to Santos were just a footnote to Bankman-Fried's sprawling political influence campaign, seemingly funded in large part with stolen customer funds. The goal of that campaign, however, clumsily pursued may have been the passage of a piece of cryptocurrency legislation, the Digital Commodities Consumer Protection Act, or DCCPA. Many have argued that the DCCPA would have benefited FTX at the expense of a, the broader crypto ecosystem and maybe even allowed Bankman-Fried to keep his gargantuan embezzlement scheme going. George Santos seems to have told an array of lies about his biography and resume, including that he's Jewish, a former Broadway producer, and both the survivor of an assassination attempt and the son of a 9-11 survivor. The lies are almost as entertaining as they are infuriating, suggesting not so much strategic deception as some form of mental illness. But this week's charges against Santos are serious and a little sad. He faces 13 criminal counts, including money laundering and wire fraud. This includes allegedly embezzling $50,000 in campaign funds to buy himself fancy clothes. According to public records, Uncovered in December of 2022, Santos donors included three figures from the FTX circle. The Santos campaign reportedly received the maximum possible individual donation from FTX senior exec Claire Watanabe, product head Ramnik Arora, and Ryan Salam, CEO of the company's Bahamian subsidiary FTX Digital Markets, who gave upwards of $24 million to Republican candidates and committees during the midterms. The information was puzzling when it first emerged. Santos had no clear connection to FTX and no apparent interest in crypto or any other issues Bankman-Fried feigned concern about. According to Puck News, though, the explanation for the Santos connection is relatively straightforward. Salam's girlfriend, Michelle Bond, former CEO of the FTX-backed Crypto Trade Group Association for Digital Asset Markets, ran for Congress in 2022 as a MAGA Republican in a district near Santos. The FTX executive donations went to Santos as part of an agreement with Bond to swap donors who had hit the individual limit for donations to the partner candidate. In other words, FTX execs gave money to Santos not because they supported him, but as part of supporting Bond. Puck characterizes such swaps as fairly routine in political campaigns, but Salam was deeply entwined with other aspects of the FTX hustle. Though he has not been charged with any crime, the $4 million home he shares with Bond was raided by the FBI in late April. While not seemingly criminal in its own right, the arcane connection between FTX and George Santos reflects the sprawling nature of Sam Bankman-Fried's larger political influence campaign in 2021 and 2022 in the months since FTX's collapse and Bankman-Fried's arrest. It has become clear that these political efforts were as corrupt as every other aspect of his dealings. The mountain of criminal charges against Bankman-Fried include violating campaign finance laws by allegedly funneling 
allegedly stolen corporate funds through so-called straw donors, including Salam and FTX co-founder Nishad Singh, to circumvent the law. The straw donor scheme seemed to have been intended to mainly disguise the fact that while positioning himself as the next Democratic mega-donor, Bankman-Fried was in fact funneling donations to both Republicans and Democrats. But this is just the beginning of an apparently even more sprawling and frankly very weird set of relationships among a huge cast of political hustlers. In one striking example, a source told Puck that they received a donation from Nishad Singh, even though they had cultivated a relationship with Mind the Gap, a pre-FTX fundraising organization spearheaded by Sam Bankman-Fried's mother, Barbara Fried. This suggests Mind the Gap may have helped identify candidates who then received donations of stolen FTX customer funds. Another seemingly major nexus of the FTX influence peddling effort was Democratic strategist and fundraiser Sean McElwee, who reportedly helped guide donations for Bankman Freed. It was also recently revealed that McElwee had gambled on political contests, including betting against candidates he was working for. Though McElwee hasn't faced any legal fallout, uh, those two dings reportedly led to his December 2022 firing as head of, uh, head of Data for Progress, an extremely influential left-leaning think tank and polling firm he founded in 2018. These are just a few highlights of a truly Byzantine operation, but what was Sam Bankman-Fried hoping to gain by spreading so much money around by su such deceptive means? Publicly, Bankman-Fried used his political donations to buttress his carefully crafted and admittedly fake image as a concerned philanthropist. For instance, another seeming middleman for FTX funds was Sam's younger brother, Gabe Bankman-Fried, who was placed in charge of a political advocacy nonprofit called Guarding Against Pandemics, or GAP. The organization's main source of funding was FTX. GAP's political efforts appear to have been thoroughly ham-fisted and ineffectual. Guarding against pandemics spent unprecedented sums in an Oregon House race, but its candidate lost. GAP also intervened in a Colorado ballot initiative and managed to alienate parties it was nominally collaborating with. Michelle Bond, meanwhile, lost her House primary race in embarrassing 20 points. The combined ineptitude and corruption on display is a revealing parallel to Alameda Research's ability to lose massive amounts of money despite seemingly having a cheat code on FTX. But even if you're incompetent, throwing tens of billions of dollars around clearly counts for a lot in Washington, D.C. Bankman-Fried's donations likely helped him win meetings with the likes of U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission Chair Gary Gensler, and invitations to testify before Congress about crypto. Gensler and others seemed eager for, to welcome Bankman-Fried as an adult in the room on crypto regulation. But many in the industry were hostile to the DCCPA legislation that Bankman-Fried helped craft and which would have imposed onerous and even nonsensical requirements on decentralized finance platforms and services. Many argued that the rules would have amounted to a ban on DeFi in the US 
and would have channeled more crypto into centralized entities, including FTX itself. That might have saved FTX from collapse and helped keep Bankman-Fried's many alleged crimes secret. As we move closer to Bankman-Fried's scheduled October criminal trial, the theft of customer funds will be a dominant issue for many crypto industry observers. But that's just one part of an even darker allegation that Bankman-Fried, with the help from many allies, used those stolen funds to pervert the legislative process of the United States towards his entirely uh, uh, own, own entirely self-interested goals. So um, <laughs> it's kind of interesting. I um, was, uh, you know, I'm working on reading uh, Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged at the moment. It's a massive book. It's over a thousand pages, and I'm, you know, about a third of the way through. Um, but what's interesting is that um, uh, there's a passage from the book that uh that i came across i actually posted it on my twitter um and uh it's strikingly um uh, um it, it it describes what's going on today in in in, uh, in in a very striking way so i'm going to read it here really quick uh this is for page 383 of the book uh it goes, do you wish to know whether that day is coming? Watch money. Money is the barometer of a society's virtue. When you see that trading is done not by consent but by compulsion, when you see that in order to produce you need to obtain permission from men who produce nothing, when you see that money is flowing to those who deal, not in goods but in favors, when you see that men get richer by graft and by pull than by work, and your laws don't protect you against them, but protect them against you. When you see corruption being rewarded and honesty becoming a self-sacrifice, you may know that your society is doomed. Money is so noble a medium that it does not compete with guns, and it does not make terms of brutality. It will not permit a country to survive as half property, half loot. So uh, anyway, I just thought I would share that because it just uh, really nails it. Uh, so I guess he'll be back in the news maybe when the trial starts. But uh, we certainly haven't heard much about old, good old Sam Bankman-Fried in a while. Corruption. It's, uh, it's definitely a huge problem uh, and seems to be getting bigger and bigger. All right, next up uh, is from Bitcoin.com. This was posted today, and I thought this was an interesting piece on, um, and again, uh, sort of connected to the prior uh, discussion about FTX. You know, that blew up uh, in epic fashion along with a lot of other um, crypto exchanges, crypto trading houses, uh, caused a collapse, obviously, in, in the price of Bitcoin, uh, you know, all coins, etc. And, um, and also got woke up the Congress and the regulators and everybody. And now they're, you know, obviously going after the, uh, the industry. And um, that then, of course, bleeds into public perception. So this, this here is a Gallup poll. Uh, Americans preference for real estate and crypto plunges 
but fondness for gold skyrockets. Um, Gallup Inc., the analytics and advisory company headquartered in Washington, D.C., recently unveiled uh, its latest Gallup poll on long-term investments on May 11, 2023. With a history dating back to 1935, Gallup has been conducting public opinion polls worldwide. The poll, conducted from April 3rd to April 25th, 2023, delves into various investment options such as real estate, gold, stocks, bonds, and crypto assets. The results were derived from telephone interviews and held during the same period involving a randomly selected sample of 1,013 adults aged 18 and above residing in the United States. Gallup's latest poll revealed that real estate emerged as the favored long-term investment but the allure of this asset has experienced a significant decline among Americans. The percentage of respondents favoring real estate plummeted from 45% last year to a current figure of 34, 35%. Um, so that's kind of interesting. Lydia Saad, the author of the Gallup Poll Report, highlighted that this current proportion aligns with the typical selection rate observed between 2016 and 2020 before housing prices skyrocketed during the pandemic. Saad further explained that the housing market's appeal has waned over the past year as higher interest rates have subdued investor enthusiasm. While the perception of U.S. stock indices has largely remained stagnant compared to the previous year, there has been a slight dip from 24% in 2022 to the current 18%. On the other hand, uh, the appeal of gold as a long-term investment has experienced a noteworthy surge since last year. Gold has soared from 15% to 26%, surpassing stocks and claiming the position as the second most favored long-term investment, according to Gallup's respondents. Today's preference for stocks is on the low end of the 17 to 27% range of Americans choosing it since 2011, Saad detailed. According to the Gallup poll author, in the previous year, 8% of surveyed Americans favored crypto assets as their preferred long-term investment. However, the appeal of choosing cryptocurrency for long-term investments has dwindled to 4%. Saad attributed this decline to the FTX contagion and the price slump experienced by Bitcoin in 2022, which have dampened enthusiasm for crypto assets. The survey also highlighted an interesting trend. When cryptocurrencies were included as an option in the poll, participants were less inclined to select stocks, but their preference for stocks increased when crypto assets were not among the choices. While crypto assets outperformed bonds as a long-term investment option last year, bonds garnered a score of 7% in the latest poll. So anyway, I thought this was interesting because this is what the, you know, in theory, assuming their sample is, uh, you know, random, is uh, what the uh, normal average, you know, uh, American is thinking. So um, uh, it's interesting that people are gravitating towards gold. Um, and, uh, you know, I think if, if people understood uh, Bitcoin and, and gold and how they relate to each other uh, and what the benefits and, and costs are of one versus the other, uh, probably more people would would choose Bitcoin, um, but this is the the educational task at hand. Um, in many ways, Bitcoin and gold are are quite similar. Um, I was listening to a podcast yesterday um, on the What Is Money show. Uh, Robert Breedlove had um, 
uh, had somebody on uh, that was talking about a big gold bug, and uh, they were kind of getting into it about, well, why why do you think gold is superior to Bitcoin? And um, it was Lynette Zhang, um, and she she said, well, it's because it's 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 been around for five thousand years. Okay, you can't can't argue that Bitcoin's only been around for you know since 2008-2009 but her big thing was gold has a physical uh, use like it can be used in products and you know um, silverware and and, or not silverware but jewelry and you know industrial applications medical applications etc etc so it has a it has a um, practical use uh, in addition to its monetary use, which which you know supports the value of it, um, she, she cared less about the market cap actually because she doesn't believe the market cap is correct because uh, it's you know speculators and whatnot. Uh, it's interesting because she almost says that the Bitcoin market cap is is over over uh, priced, and that the gold market cap is underpriced. Uh, because of market manipulation. In other words, institutions are shorting gold down, but they're propping up Bitcoin, which I don't know if it really makes sense to me. But even if the market cap was uh, on par with gold, she she wouldn't look at that. She would look at it more as, you know, well, what are the you know alternative uses of it? And there aren't any, because Bitcoin is just a pure monetary asset. She did admit that the fixed supply was in- intriguing but uh, anyway i just thought it was a really interesting discussion and i'll probably put a link to it in the show notes because uh, i think it's uh it's worth listening to uh for for both gold bugs and bitcoiners to to sort of challenge each other i think though that uh everybody agrees more than they disagree on the problem they just have different solutions to it all right moving on bitcoin this was from Bitcoin.com, also just posted today. Uh, and this is an update on, uh, I think we talked about this last week, that the uh, minor fees were uh, going out of control because there was a lot of uh, transactions being put through the blockchain and everybody was freaking out about it. But it's just it's just the beautiful functioning of a, of a uh, free market. Uh, so this this article says Bitcoin makes progress in clearing backlog, but Lightning Network capacity and channels dropped amid congestion. The long queue of transactions is finally starting to subside as Bitcoin miners have started catching up with some of the backlog. As we reported three days ago, Bitcoin.com News noted the beginning of the congestion clearing process with unconfirmed transactions dropping from over. 500,000 on May 7th to just above 300,000 on Thursday, May 11th. According to mempool.io statistics, a high, priori- high priority transactions were priced at $3 per transfer, while low priority transactions cost $2.23 per transfer at that time. Current statistics on May 14th <clears throat> show that on chain fees have significantly subsided on the Bitcoin blockchain over the past three days. Just a few days ago, a high-priority transaction would have cost $3, but today that fee has dropped to $0.83. 
A medium priority transfer is now priced at 79 cents, while a low priority transaction can cost around 75 cents. This is a significant improvement with high priority on-chain fees sliding by 72.33% over the past 72 hours. Additionally, the number of unconfirmed transactions stuck in the queue has reduced to 263,406, which is just above half of what it held on May 7th. On May 9th, the number of transactions was around 413,420, which means that 36.28% of the backlog had, has been cleared in the past five days. While fees skyrocketed to roughly $30 per transaction on May 7th and have been quite volatile lately, the Lightning Network's capacity did not improve. In fact, the number of BTC locked into the Lightning Network dropped from 5,463 Bitcoin on May 5th to today's capacity of 5,415 Bitcoin on May 14th. The dip indicates that roughly 1.28 million in value left the Lightning Network amid the transaction backlog chaos. On May 8th, the Lightning Network boasted 73,352 unique channels. However, that number has since decreased to the current 71,286 unique channels. According to mem mempool.space's Lightning Network metrics, roughly 5,057 Bitcoin in capacity is on ClearNet, while 253 Bitcoin of capacity is using Tor. The remaining Lightning Network capacity is identified as other. And so this is interesting because I did a post last week on Bitcoin adoption, and one of the metrics, of course, is Lightning Network uh, usage. Uh, and both the number of Bitcoins that are committed to the Lightning Network as well as the number of channels. And uh, so, you know, this is obviously from an adoption standpoint disappointing, um, but I think probably I, I have been reading that some people that operate Lightning nodes, um, they're learning, you know, in other words, that uh, they don't want the you don't want the channel to uh, sort of force close itself during a you know fee spike because that then becomes very expensive for you to um, uh, to pull the Bitcoin out of uh, out of the Lightning channel. So um, probably the node operators are learning from this experience, and hopefully they can uh, you know set it up so that uh, they just keep the channel open a little longer until the mempool clears um, and then um, you know that should hopefully take care of that but um, but again lightning network is new and and uh, you know there's still a lot of learning to be done and a lot of adoption you know ahead of it so uh, the other interesting thing is there's, you know, there's always debates about, well, what's going to happen to the network when the, you know, the, the block subsidy goes away in 140 years or whatever it is, and the network just has to live on fees. Well, this is a perfect example. I mean, it's supply and demand. So as long as there's demand for the network and for transactions on the network, and now those include um, ordinals, which are basically, you know, um, JPEGs, you know, um, and uh, these these uh, BRC20 tokens, which are, you know, basically like meme coins, but they're on the Bitcoin network, not on Ethereum. Uh, as much as people hate that, uh, it's totally allowed by the protocol, and uh, if that creates additional demand, then, you know, fees go up and miners make more money, and, you know, uh, maybe you don't send small transactions on 
on the main chain. Maybe you send them through Lightning, and or you wait until the fees are lower. So uh, anyway, it's kind of like a case study of a perfect market at work, and uh, we need more of those and less central planning. So you know, uh, it, it'll be interesting to watch. But again. Um, the miners are critical to securing the network. They have to get paid somehow, and it's nice to see that there is a path uh, towards higher profitability for them, or at least to maintain their profitability in the absence of block rewards with fees. And um, and supply and demand will sort of dictate how high or low those are. And people just have to get smarter, uh, you know, honestly, about using the network. Okay, moving into the next article here. This one is uh, from Cointelegraph. This was posted on May 13th. Uh, Ordinals and BRC20 will disappear in a matter of months, says Jan3 CEO. So this kind of tails, tails into what we were just talking about. This is, um, uh, let's see. Uh, the latest hype around Bitcoin ordinals and BRC20 tokens is unsustainable and will fade away in a matter of months, according to Jan3 CEO Samson Mao. These guys are basically paying massive amounts of fees that go directly to Bitcoin miners, and there's no way this can be sustained, Mao said in an exclusive interview with Cointelegraph. They will fade away after even months. Let's not talk about years here, he continued. <clears throat> Growing activity around ordinals and BRC20 a crypto technology that allows users to mint fungible and non-fungible tokens on the Bitcoin blockchain is the main cause provoking a spike in transaction fees, which resulted in the congestion of the Bitcoin network. While many members of the Bitcoin community see ordinals as a use case that could boost Bitcoin adoption, Mao considers them just as spam clogging the network. These are just short-term money grabs, similar to most things on competing chains like Ethereum and Solana, he pointed out. To Mao, mass adoption of Bitcoin will happen because of its use case as a saving technology and a means of exchange, not because of people minting JPEGs and sticking them on in the chain. Um, and then I guess they uh, have a full interview on a YouTube channel, uh, which is uh, linked in the article. And again, as always, I'll, I'll include links of all the articles that I discuss in the show notes. So you can read it for yourself. Uh, so then I thought, uh, next I want to talk about a little, uh, uh, Bitcoin adoption, uh, win and another perhaps loss. Uh, and this is, uh, more at the sort of, uh, country level. So this is from Bitcoin.com. This was, uh, looks like it was posted a few days ago and it's entitled Liechtenstein prime minister says, Government to accept Bitcoin payments open to investing reserves in Bitcoin. Uh, the article says Daniel Risch, Liechtenstein's prime minister, who also serves as the country's finance minister, has reportedly revealed that Liechtenstein plans to accept Bitcoin payments for certain government services. He said in an interview with German business daily Handelsblatt Sunday without giving a specific time frame. A payment option with Bitcoin is coming. Risch explained that Liechtenstein plans to accept Bitcoin and immediately exchange Bitcoin for Swiss francs, the national currency, in order to avoid exchange rate risks. He also clarified that the cryptocurrency would not be granted equal status as the Swiss franc. 
The prime minister additionally told the news outlet that he was open to investing state reserves in Bitcoin in the future. Liechtenstein's reserves, currently amounting to approximately 2.23 billion Swiss francs, or $2.51 billion, are invested mostly in securities, Handelsblatt reported, citing the finance ministry. Riesch was further quoted by Reuters as saying, cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin are still too risky, but this assessment can of course change. In October 2019, Liechtenstein's legislature approved the Token and Trustworthy Technology Service Providers Act, abbreviated TVTG in German. The government noted that in its announcement at the time with the new law, Liechtenstein becomes the first country to comprehensively regulate the token economy. So, uh, although they haven't really done anything yet, there's at least uh, you know an openness to accept Bitcoin for as payments, and there's also uh, a thought around uh, potentially putting some of the reserves in Bitcoin, which you know from a uh, game theory standpoint is always interesting to see um, nation state level uh, adoption. Uh, the next article is. Uh, uh, kind of an interesting one, more on the negative side, and this is our friends up north in Canada. Uh, so this article is from CoinDesk. This was posted on May 12th, entitled, Binance Announces Exit from Canada Citing Regulatory Tensions. Crypto exchange Binance has announced that it would cease operations in Canada, citing the challenging regulatory environment. We had high hopes for the rest of the Canadian blockchain industry, the company said in a Friday tweet. Unfortunately, new guidance related to stablecoins and investor limits provided to crypto exchanges makes the Canada market no longer tenable for Binance at this time. In February, the Canadian securities administrators revealed new guidance that prohibited crypto asset trading platforms within the country from allowing customers to buy or deposit stablecoins without the CSA's prior approval. Obtaining approval would require the crypto trading platform to pass the CSA's various due diligence checks. In its Friday tweet, Binance added that it did not agree with the new regulations, but still hopes to work with Canadian regulators to further develop a regulatory framework around cryptocurrencies. Over the past year, Binance has received increased scrutiny from North American regulators and appears to be ramping down operations in the region. Earlier this year, Binance said it was considering severing ties with its U.S. business partners. Binance co-founder and CEO Chang Peng Zhao is a Canadian citizen, with the company describing its exit from the country as holding sentimental value. So, uh, kind of interesting there. And of course, the U.S. is still very much undecided uh, as the Congress continues to wrangle with how they're going to legislate uh, the crypto industry. And um, it's we'll just have to see how that plays out, too. But I think there was uh, some news last week, I think, that Coinbase was... Uh, setting up an operation in uh, Dubai, I think, uh, with uh, some investors there uh, putting money into it. So uh, it's all, it's almost a little bit like uh, miners. I think it was, uh, maybe it was a mining company. I can't remember exactly, but I think what'll happen a lot like, you know, how Apple wants to diversify some of their manufacturing outside of China. So they move some stuff to India the Bitcoin industry 
uh, is going to have to look at offshore options um, just to make sure that they can continue to operate uh, in the midst of an uncertain regulatory environment. So will be interesting to see. Uh, last article here uh, uh, that was kind of fun. It's an opinion piece. And uh, it's called This Mother's Day, Try Explaining Bitcoin to Your Mom. Uh, and this is from Hector Alvero. This is again, Bitcoin Magazine, dated May 12. Uh, this is an opinion editorial by Hector Alvero, a Bitcoin educator who serves as co-host of the Broward County Bitcoiners Meetup. As Bitcoiners, we love the exhilarating feeling of bringing a new person into the Bitcoin lifeboat. Many of us constantly work to orange pill our friends, our co-workers, and our neighbors, trying to save as many as we can before the fiat ship sinks. We'll even try to... Actually, one of my favorite memes is the Titanic going down. We'll even try to orange pill the waiter at our favorite local restaurant, helping them download a lightning wallet and offering to give them a bigger tip to help them, quote, get off zero. But what about your mom? Have you given her the same gift that you've given to the Uber driver who took you home from your last conference or meetup? Have you taken the time to help her understand the impact that inflation is having on her economic security and how Bitcoin can protect her from the financial earthquake that is coming? Have you helped her understand what money is and why Bitcoin is the greatest savings technology ever discovered? If you have, I applaud you. If you haven't gotten there yet, this Mother's Day is the perfect time to show her that you love her enough to spend the time it takes for her to understand Bitcoin. You might be thinking, I already tried and she didn't get it. I can sympathize with that. My mom didn't get it right away either. She said it sounded like a Ponzi scheme and it couldn't be money because it wasn't real or backed by anything. Maybe you have heard some of these same objections. Maybe you're frustrated and figure you should just let it go. If so, ask yourself this question. How many times has your mom explained something to you that you didn't understand at first? She likely did not give up by on helping you learn and grow. Are you going to quit on her now when her entire future is at stake? Of course not. You're a Bitcoiner. Think back to when you first heard about Bitcoin. Did you get it right away? I didn't. A friend told me about Bitcoin at a Halloween party in 2015, and while I didn't dismiss it, I certainly did not understand its importance at first. Life was busy, and so I forgot about it for a year until he tried again in late 2016 and helped me learn enough to buy a small amount and begin my journey. Maybe you have a similar story of someone who kept trying until you understood this revolutionary technology enough to take your first step on the path to economic freedom and sovereignty. Imagine how different your outlook on the future would be if they had not kept trying. Remember, Bitcoin is hard to grok. It was for me, and maybe it was for you, too. It is also generally harder to understand the older someone is because they have lived in their economic circumstances for longer than a younger person has and are often more reluctant to accept a new paradigm. Change can be scary, especially for someone that might be feeling confused about why the world seems to be spinning out of control. It might take more patience. It might take a few more conversations or the breaking up of big topics into smaller ones before the light bulb goes on for your mom. Try to find something she can relate to that Bitcoin fixes and focus on that aspect alone. Relevance is a powerful tool for persuasion. For my mom, what made the light bulb go on in her head was when I related one piece of Bitcoin's value proposition to something she understood from her own life. In her case, it was Bitcoin's resistance to censorship and confiscation. 
My mom grew up in Cuba and was a teenager when Fidel Castro rose to power in the late 1950s. She remembers how her family's meager cash savings, which my grandfather kept in a glass jar hidden in the house, was demonetized when the new regime took power. My grandfather refused to turn in the money and buried the jar in the backyard. He trusted that eventually everything would go back to how it was before and the old currency would be accepted again. This never happened, and my grandparents had to flee the island with my mom soon after. They also had to leave behind the valueless pieces of paper buried in the backyard of the house, which they also no longer own thanks to the new government's abolition of private property rights. They lost the money, the house, and they barely escaped with their lives. When I talked to, with her about Bitcoin in terms of it being property that no one can take from her, she got it. This Mother's Day, I encourage you to consider trying again. Try again like your mom encouraged you to do when she taught you to ride a bike. Trying again even when you kept falling. Try again like my mom did when teaching me to parallel park even after I ran over the garbage can twice. She never gave up on you and now it's your turn to believe in her and return the favor. Now is the moment when you can show her that those lessons of persistence, patience, and love took hold. This Mother's Day is your chance to save her life and future and to repay her for giving both of those things to you. Uh, so really nice post, great sentiment. Um, I certainly tried um, myself and was not that successful, but uh, maybe I need to give it a, another chance. So anyway, uh, and then we'll finish up. Just want to highlight a couple blog posts. Uh, so this week's post is out. It's a monthly portfolio review for the month of May. Uh, so check that out. I'll put a link in the show notes. And then uh, I'm also working on another post that I'll probably put out this coming week, maybe midweek, on uh, UTXOs, uh, which are the unspent transaction outputs um, from Bitcoin and why those matter, managing those um, matter from a security standpoint and also from a privacy standpoint uh, and fees. And so just uh, kind of balancing those things and understanding that. So um, look for that. And that'll do it. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please like and leave a comment. Also, don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. You can also follow my Substack. It's uh, located at bitcoinfortress.substack.com. And you can also follow me on Twitter. My handle is at Nick Reichert. I'm also on Noster if you're there. And I will talk to you all next week. Bye-bye.